When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode uh, 59 of our study, Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And we were talking at our last episode about uh, how Aaron is going to be selected as a priest, he and his sons, and they're to be outfitted with this outfit. And God started describing about what this outfit was going to look like. Um, and so, and it's really detailed, extremely detailed to the last stone and the engraving on the stone and the gold plate and the turban and all this stuff. It's all very, very detailed and spelled out by God as far as what he wants on this um, priestly garment. And um, and there's a reason for it. And so uh, we'll probably get into that. But before we do that, why don't we just continue reading in Exodus chapter 28, verse 31. So make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head in its center. There shall be a woven edge like a collar around this opening so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe, with gold bells between them. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sounds of the bell will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. So now God is not only giving a description, it's a, it's a minor thing, right? You've got the hem of the robe and you've got these little pomegranate balls, I guess you would call it, descending from the hem of the robe. And then between them, you've got these bells. He's like, bells, why bells? Well, God says, the sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. So the bells indicate to everybody, not only to God that he's going into the holy place and, and leaving, but that to the people of Israel, okay, uh, Aaron is now going into the holy place and now, um, and if he doesn't die, we know that the presence of God is with him. Um, if he doesn't come out for a while, then um, we'll know that we, that, you know, something's happened to him and somehow we have to retrieve the body from the holy of holies. So uh, these are, um, because the only person that can enter the holy of holies is the high priest, right? That's the only one. Everybody else I kind of stay outside. So what happens if he dies when in the Holy of Holies? Well, how do you even know that he's in the Holy of Holies? Well, this, these bells let you know that he's entering the Holy of Holies. So God's getting a little information as to why uh, he has decided to put bells around the, head, the hem. All right, we'll keep reading. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as a seal, holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban. So it is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead. And he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts of the Israelites. Uh, he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrated. Whatever their gifts may be, it will be on Aaron's forehead continually, so they will be available to the Lord, acceptable to the Lord. Weave the tunic of fine linen and make the turban of fine linen. The sash is to be work of an embroiderer. Make tunics, sassage, and caps sashes and caps for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honor. After you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them, consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. So 
we're already beginning to see here that this all oh, this whole elaborate thing that God is telling to put on Aaron has a purpose. Like every thing on this has a purpose. The stones to show the twelve tribes of Egypt, uh, the on the forehead to you know that it's going to say holy to the Lord. Like the, the, this priest is holy to the Lord, and it's all put together to indicate to the people of Israel that this is a holy person, that he's the mediator between God and man, that we can we can cast our sins to Aaron, and then Aaron casts those sins to God, and if God has an, a pronouncement to the people, it goes to Aaron, and then it goes to the people. Aaron is now the center point between God and the Israelite community. Um, now, when it was... Moses, that then um, when it was Moses, uh, God came to Moses in a burning bush and Moses came back to the people and the people believed Moses because Moses told a compelling story, uh, an account, a narrative of what was happening at the burning bush. And then Moses said, all right, there's going to be there's going to be these plagues and then we're going to be rescued out of slavery from Egypt. And there was the plagues. There was the rescue from slavery out of Egypt. And then the people were hungry. They were thirsty. God provided manna. He provided water. Um, all of that stuff proved to the people of Israel that they should follow Moses as a leader. But now God is saying, listen, I'm not necessarily going to communicate to the people of Israel as I did to Moses. It's the, the communication line is going to start to diminish. And the people of Israel need to learn how to live and to understand my will and to sacrifice to me without constant communication to Moses. And so that's going to go to the priesthood. And I will, uh, I will have my discernment into the priesthood. I will receive your sin offering from the priesthood. But we need to... We need to create a priesthood class and we're going to outfit them with every, all these things to remind you of why you have priests, your history, and that I am still with you because I'm going to start to pull my hand back a little bit. And for the, the people to understand that Aaron is a priest and his sons are priests, they get decked out in this incredible priestly garments so that they follow him and the sons, they followed the, the Aaronic priesthood as if they were following Moses, uh, as if they were, you know, as if God were in that stead. That's what the priest does. And that's why they're so elaborately decorated. So verse 42, make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them wherever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt or die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants. So we now have the decked out uh, stuff from God and what it looks like. People have put together pictures at the last episode I showed. For those that are able to see it online, I showed a picture of what it is. I found another document that shows kind of all the things from Exodus and how it's pointed out where in Exodus it is. Um, the turban on the top of the head, the gold plate that's on the forehead, the shoulder pieces, the ermim and the thummim over the heart, the breastplate of judgment, the 12 stones that indicate the tribe of Israel, 
the sash that goes around the waist, the ephod, which is a linen garment uh, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns held by woven waistband, uh, so you can see that, and then the undergarments, which you can't see in the picture, but they're underneath the ephod. So all of these things are decorated by God, and so they are all, um, let me see if I can show you a picture of this. This is, um, this is what it would look like, for those of you who can see, um, uh, in different places, um, you have the headband, the gold, the, the stones, the sash, the uh, bells, the pomegranates, the undergarments, all of this stuff. This is all meant to show the Israelites that God is with Aaron and his sons and that they are now um, the representative between God and man. All right, but... Another step has to happen. They have to be consecrated as priests. So we keep reading now in Exodus chapter 29. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from the finest wheat flour make round loaves without yeast, thick loaves without yeast and with olive oil mixed in, and thin loaves without yeast and brushed with olive oil. Put them in a basket and present them along with the bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments and the dress Aaron, take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breast piece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So basically, um, we bring them all together. We put all this stuff on them. And then this is a lasting ordinance, and then you shall ordain them. And this is what the ordination looks like by verse 10. Bring the bull to the front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then take all the fat on the internal organs, the long robe of the liver and both kidneys with the fat on them and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its intestines outside of the camp. It is a sin offering. So the intestinal stuff can be burned in the altar that's inside, but all the other stuff is flesh and its hide have to be burned outside of the camp because it is a sin offering. It can't be brought into the tent of meeting. Um, all right, verse 15, take one of the rams and Aaron and his son shall lay their hand on its head, slaughter it and take the blood and splash it on the sides of the altar, cut the ram into pieces and wash the internal organs and the legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces, then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. Take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, and take some of its blood, and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hand, and on the big toes of their big feet. 
Then splash blood against the sides of the altar and take some blood from the altar and some from the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. So they put the blood on the on the garments. They take some of the blood and they put it on the lobes of the right ear to show that Aaron listens to the people. He listens to God. He's a listener. On the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of their feet that he's going to use his hands and his feet in service to God and then splash the blood on the altar. He is going to be involved in the sacrifice. So all of these things are ritualistic things that happen to show that Aaron is the high priest of God. Uh, we ver- go into verse 22. Take from the ram the fat, the fat tail, the fat on the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, both kidneys with the fat on them and the right thigh. This is the ram for the ordination. From the basket of bread make without, made without yeast, which is before the Lord, take one round loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in, and one thin loaf. Put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons and have them wave before them the Lord as a wave offering. Then take them from their hands and burn them on the altar along with the burnt offerings for a pleasing aroma to the Lord, a food offering presented to the Lord. After you take the breast of the ram for Aaron's ordination, wave it before the Lord as a wave offering, and it will be your share. Consecrate those parts of the ordination ram that belongs to Aaron and his sons, the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. This is always to be the perpetual share from the Israelites for Aaron and his sons. It is the contribution of the Israelites are to make to the Lord from their fellowship offering. Um, so this is part of the ordination ceremony. You have a specific ordination lamb and it's to be divided up and offered the blood sprinkled on or and all of this stuff is from God to kind of show what the, what the whole purpose of this is. And we as new Testament people understand that the lamb, that the blood, that the sacrifice, that the bread, all of this stuff points to Christ because Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. We learn that from Hebrews, that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, all of that was pleasing to God in the Old Testament. Why? Because it pointed towards the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus was on the cross, which was the perfect aroma of sacrifice when God became flesh and dwelt among us. So it kind of... um, in the, in the Old Testament, that sacrifice was pleasing to God. The aroma was pleasing to God because of Jesus, because he knew that the people needed a sacrifice. And so they would do sacrifices. But God, who lives outside time, every time they did an Old Testament sacrifice, what God sees is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And whenever we eat the bread and drink the wine, which is the body and blood of Christ in the future, God sees the sacrifice of Christ. We remember the sacrifice. We don't see it because we live in time. It happened in the past. But for God, who is timeless and can go back and forth with time, he sees every time we consume the body and blood of Christ that it is the sacrifice of Christ that we are consuming, Um, that God is truly present. His sacrifice is truly present. The ultimate perfect sacrifice is present. All right, continue on verse 29. Aaron's sacred garments will belong to his descendants so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. 
The son who succeeds him as priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear them seven days. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in the sacred place. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination and consecration, but no one else may eat them because they are sacred. And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or its bread is left over till morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. So God tells um, uh, Moses and the people of Israel that they are to have a sacred meal, meat, and sacred bread that is to remain in the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place uh, where the bread of uh, presence is. And that's where the priestly class eats this food. Um, now, why why is that? Um, I think part of it is to make sure that they are also fed, that they have food, that there's always bread and meat present for the priest to eat so that they remember they're the ones that are the ones that are the interface between God and man. And so other people might be starving in the community, but the priest uh, has food in the tent of meeting and they do not have um, they will not never lack for food because it is always there because you have to take care of the priests first because they're the ones that interface between God and man. If the priest dies, then who uh, is the interface between God and man? So you always make sure that there's a priestly class available that can interface between God and man. It is so important to have in the Old Testament a priest uh, because otherwise, how are your sins forgiven? How do you interface with God? How does God talk to man? All these things happen through the priest. And so you have to kind of make sure that the priest has the, the necessary things that he needs for survival. All right, uh, we'll continue in verse 35. Do for Aaron and his sons everything that I've commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them, sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by making atonement for it, and anoint it to consecrate it. For seven days make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy, and whatever touches it will be holy. And this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs, a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. With the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of thin of a hin of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of a hin of wine as a drinking as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented before the Lord. So we also have this offering that happens daily, day and night. So where do these offerings come from? They come from the people of Israel. Each family probably is assigned a time when they have to provide the lamb for the offering, either the morning lamb or the afternoon lamb. And so everybody in Israel has at some point a sacrifice that they must give to make sure that this continues. Uh, and if you think about it, there's 365 days in a year and two lambs a day, that's 700 lambs. So, um, and of course, I think, you know, we know that it doesn't say how many people here, but we know that a million came out of Israel. So this isn't, 
uh, if you assume that 10 people per family is 100,000 families, um, you know, you might get the opportunity to provide a morning and an evening lamb like once in a lifetime, or maybe once every 10 years or something. I, mean, I haven't done the math, but it doesn't happen all that often. So it's a privilege and an honor at one point to offer your lamb as a sacrifice. All right, verse 42. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. And then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So, um, we have now kind of created this priestly class. We've outfitted them. We've fed them. We've seen the sacrifices that must be done on behalf of them. We've seen the sacrifices that they will do. God has put this all in place so that... God now has a way to have communication with man, aside from Moses. Uh, that, that there will be this uh, priestly class that goes with the Israelites all the way up to the time of Jesus. And then at the time of Jesus, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. And remember, the high priest was the only one that was able to go into the temple. Well, once, once you tear the temple curtain in two, then the high, there is no longer a high priest. There is no longer a priestly class. And I mentioned this yesterday or one of the episodes that uh, in the New Testament, there is no classification of priest. It doesn't exist. Um, Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. So the fact that uh, some Christian denominations have priests, that is a... I don't know if it's necessarily forbidden by God because he doesn't say uh, that you can't have priests. Um, he does not, in Scripture, it doesn't even mention the word priest in the New Testament. I mean, except for, you know, this, the Gospels where Jesus is talking to the high priest or something like that. But in New Testament Christianity, Acts on, there is no classification of priest. So it was either something that Jesus told the Christians to have, and it never got written about, or maybe it was something that came along later because people want priesthood. People want a class of people that will tell them what to do and what God wants them to do. The people, people need priests, I think. Uh, people need the Lord, right? People need people who speak for God. Um, now, we do have apostles, and we have prophets, and we have evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, but we don't have priests mentioned in the Bible. That's something that is extra biblical. Uh, it's not commanded or forbidden. So whether or not you have a priest would be a function of, do you think that God's people need the function of a priest? Look for that in scripture. And is that need there? And if so, let's have priests. If that need is not there, then let's not have priests. And as I've mentioned before, Roman Catholics still have priests. Protestants don't have priests anymore. Um, that is just that is just the way it is. Um, and uh, as far as when did priests become on the scene, uh, 
that it was later also, 300 to 500 AD, you know, where it's written about in some of the materials. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. It means that maybe it was so ubiquitous that they didn't just write about it. I mean, because of course you have priests. I mean, how else would you have priests if you didn't write? I mean, you didn't need to write about it because it was just everywhere. Everybody knew about it. But um, it is curious that it's just very lacking. Uh, and so then it goes back to the theology. Do you, do you need a priest or do we have direct access to God without a priest? And the Protestant world would say that we have direct access to God without a priest. Uh, we can pray to God directly through Jesus, and that's all we need. Um, whereas if you're a Roman Catholic, you cannot actually do that. Uh, you have to go through a priest to forgive your sins. You have to go through a priest uh, for all sorts of things. So um, that's just a difference. I don't know if it's a big difference because, again, it's not, it's not in Scripture. So I don't think it's commanded or forbidden by God. So if, if a denomination wants to have a priestly class, I think that's, you know, that, that's adiaphora. Um, so, and, and how all that kind of comes is neither commanded nor forbidden by God. All right, so um, that kind of ends that section. I think we'll end it here. Um, so let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, gracious God, thank you for um, giving to the Israelites a priestly class so that you could be present with them. Um, we thank you, Lord, that you're present with us always because of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.